I want to share just a little bit with you about myself, where I've come from. Uh, before some of your parents were married, I was a graduate student at uh, Southern Cal, uh, working on... Uh, that, you finally got your chance. I was doing graduate study in, uh, in physical chemistry and had become a believer whenever I was about seven years old. My mom and my grandma had done a lot of teaching and during a series of evangelistic meetings at our church, I committed my life to Christ and I did okay through the first part of college. I developed a lot of intellectual questions and they sort of ate away at my faith. By the time I got to graduate school, I was just, I was just wandering, drifting. And at USC, some of the, some fellows who are part of what's now uh, Christian Challenge uh, met me and got me into Bible study. Uh, a guy in particular, a young pastor, began to direct me into reading about answers to questions I had. I didn't know if anybody had ever written books about those things. Uh, things like the, uh, which world religion is right or are they all the same? Uh, what about the Bible and science? And then just, you know, tons of others. If you go through a Western educational process uh, from grade school on through college, you come out of the university with at least 13 basic questions. You probably cannot verbalize most of them, but you've picked them up just by osmosis by going through the system. Uh, over a period of a year, my life did a 180-degree turn. Uh, toward the end of the year, I was in my fourth year of graduate school, uh, the Lord told me I was going into the ministry. I was praying about whether I should be noble and teach college after I finished my degree or be, be practical and go back to Kodak and make a lot of money. I was leaning toward being practical, but I committed it to Christ. You know, the Lord really wants to do what you think and what you want. And one day, while I was reading my Bible, the Lord just spoke very clearly that I wasn't going to do either. I was going to go into the ministry. And uh, I sought counsel and looked for advice. And God, God confirmed several times that this was the right direction. So I struck out in a direction. I've been going into sciences for eight years now, uh, physics and mathematics and chemistry. And this was a totally different direction. But along every step of the way, the Lord really confirmed this was what he wanted. I met in process a lady that became a wife later. We made our home in California. And then in 1974, the Lord led us to Fort Worth uh, to do graduate school in theology. We finished that in 77. My parents kept asking, what are you going to do when you grow up? You know, I was in graduate school for eight and a half years. So it was a legitimate question, really. Uh, so... God led to uh, start a church in Fort Worth. We began that 25 years ago now. We had a vision for reaching out to the unchurched community and for training guys to start churches in other areas. And over, over the long haul, the Lord has led to stay there. I asked him for a change of order several times. Now, one of the advantages of ministering where somebody else started things is you can blame them. You start the thing yourself. You don't have anybody else to blame. For the troubles that come, you have to work through them. So God, God has, has been the will of the Lord. We be there, and we've been really blessed by being at the church. We've developed deep and dear friends, people who in the past did not know Christ, 
and are now major leaders among the congregation. And we've seen uh, 80 churches now started in the U.S. and Canada. And as far as I understand it, I'll finish my, my life there. Uh, God has different ministries for different people. One of my good friends is the kind of person God has designed to plant, start a ministry and then move, turn it over to someone else and begin another. Uh, his will for me has been to stay in the same place. And to, to learn by being unable to run away from problems, to face them, engage them, deal with them, and then let God make the changes in me that he needs to in order for things to move on. What I'm going to be sharing with you about as we meet during these next few times uh, is about wisdom, but it's at a more practical level, a level of everyday life. You, you've, as Dave Geisler is here, you guys got some tremendous uh, understandings about the intellectual stuff that sort of goes on behind the scenes of people's lives and the different systems of thought that tend to that push themselves forward, particularly through the media. What I'm going to be talking about is also in the media, but it comes at you a lot more subtly and a lot more close at hand. As a matter of fact, the stuff we're going to be talking about uh, has very deep echoes in your own heart. Uh, whenever I was about 35, 37 years old, the Lord put it in my heart to begin to study wisdom in the Bible. And uh, he wouldn't let me go from that for several years. My own personal Bible study and my quiet times were oriented that way. I finally wrapped up the wisdom study. And it seemed like the Lord said, I need to go ahead and study folly. Folly is not the dark side of wisdom. It had nothing to do with wisdom. Uh, it's a total lack of it, really. But I, I needed to study it to understand sort of what God's saying in the scriptures. So I began to dig into it. I thought I'd be in the Bible about six months. It took me six years. Because I, as I began to dig into this topic of foolishness, I, I began to find things that I didn't know were in the Bible. So I dug further and further. At a certain point, I was studying the Bible in English. At a certain point, I realized I was going to have to dig into some, some of the Hebrew Old Testament. If you're newer to, to Christian concepts, uh, the Bible that we use is divided into two sections, two major sections. One written uh, from about 400 years before Christ and earlier, as God spoke through different people. The other section written right after the time of Christ about his ministry. Uh, I was in the older section. Uh, the, the New Testament, what we call the New Testament, the section that's about Christ, it echoes the same stuff that's in the Old Testament, but the detail is there in the Old Testament. So I was studying it. And I began to look at it in Hebrew. I had a little bit of Hebrew in graduate school. And I began to discover stuff that not only did I not know it was there, but as I studied the concepts, I began to realize, man, people are living this stuff out today. As I got further and further with it, I began to realize, yeah, and a lot of this stuff is very appealing to my own heart. So I want to share with you some of the things that have come out of the study. Uh, we're going to be looking at folly what folly uh, is, and I've, I've entitled this Self-Defeating Strategies, because what foolishness ultimately turns out to be is very self-defeating. Uh, the first handout, getting what I want out of life, we're going to start with that and then move to the second. Then there'll be more in sessions to follow. Every one of us really wants to live our lives in a way that, that somehow the lives, our lives are full and we achieve some things that, that are meaningful, 
And as, as we move through life, we, we, we get the kind of things we really want out of life. I don't know too many people that set out to be completely ripped off in life. All of us have some hope that as we spend our years, that we're, we're going to get something out of life. God wants you to have a, a meaningful life, a rich life, a meaningful life. His idea of a rich life and a meaningful life is rather different from Hollywood's. And I don't know about you, but man, I have been steeped in the media all of my life. I remember the first TV I saw. Now, you were born into a world where they, they were everywhere. But I remember the first one in our area, and I was about three or four years old. And from that age, I've been steeped in the media. The media has a capacity, uh, whether it's through music or through um, and, and radio or through movies or through TV, it has a capacity to transmit to us ways of thinking and values that we never think through. It's sort of like an endless stream. Have you ever gone to a, uh, you found a stream of water, and in the, in the brook or the, the stream, there are rocks that have been rounded by the press of the water. You can pick them up, and they, the rough edges are gone. They're now, now worn smooth just by the sheer pressure of the water as it keeps on rushing past. That, that's the way the media does us. You know, we, we, watch, we watch TV, we watch movies, we hear music, and we, we sort of stay immersed in it, and our friends are. And just by the sheer flow and the rush over time, it gradually shapes who we are and how we think. Unless we begin to intentionally think a different direction and ask some very, very important questions. As you dig into the Bible, you discover this term wisdom. And you also discover, particularly in the Old Testament, the term fool and foolish. I wanted to just start off with a definition of them. And then talk about some of the differences between wise people and fools. This is not just an Old Testament concept. Uh, in the New Testament, in Ephesians 5, uh, 15 through 18, the scripture says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as foolish, but as wise, making the most of the time. This is, this is something Jesus is concerned about, that we learn to live wisely and not, not foolishly. Exactly what do those terms mean? Um, first of all, just some definitions. Wisdom and folly. In the dictionary, wisdom is the ability, and above average ability, to reach intelligent conclusions. This is the English dictionary. Uh, you, you're able to use your mind and come up with intelligent conclusions. The, the focus is on intelligence. And someone who's wise, they're marked by a deep understanding of life. They have keen discernment and a capacity for sound judgment. They make good decisions. In the scriptures, wisdom has a little different twist to it. Wisdom is, is not just the ability to reach intelligent conclusions. It's the ability to achieve, achieve your goals. It's the ability to have success, success that endures. You, you can achieve your goals in a manner that brings lasting success, not just short-term followed by disaster, but lasting success in a universe that's run by a sovereign and moral God. Now, what, what does sovereign and moral mean? Well, sovereign means he's absolutely in charge. And boy, we don't understand exactly how all that works. Because obviously, you know, we, we make decisions that are real. We make our own decisions. God does not treat us like robots. We make our own decisions, but somehow God is still in, in control. And he's not only in control of heaven, 
He's in control of natural processes. He's in control of the flow of history. He's sovereign. And he's also a God who is moral. He's a God who takes very seriously how people are treated. He's a God who cares very deeply for people and will deal with people who wrongly use others. And he'll reward those, ultimately, who will do right. And he's, he's, the one, he's the God who's really there in the universe. Now, given that kind of universe, wisdom knows how to achieve its goals in a way that God approves and lasting success comes. On the flip side, in, in the dictionary, foolishness is a lack of good sense. You know, somebody just doesn't have good sense. Uh, it's, it has more, again, of an intellectual kind of edge to it. A lack of good sense, prudence, foresight, a fool someone lacking in judgment or prudence. As a matter of fact, you could define a fool as someone who uses poor judgment. You know, they use poor judgment about the way they spend their money. Folks give them $1,000 at the beginning of the semester for all their food and clothing and everything for the semester. And by the second week of school, they need more money. You know, poor judgment. Uh, fools just don't use good judgment. Uh, in the scriptures, folly is, is not just someone who, who's, in English, to be foolish, tends to have the edge of lacking mental ability. But in the scripture, to be foolish is to try to, try to build your life in such a way that you achieve success without ever taking God into account. You've got your game plan. You know what's going to work. And you're going to have what you want in life. And God, well, if he is there, maybe he's there. Maybe he's not. But he's not really going to be a factor in me getting what I want out of life. I'm going to have it anyway. In Scripture, that's a fool. Someone who attempts to achieve lasting success, lasting success, not just short-term money that goes bad, but lasting success, in the universe, that's still run by a sovereign and moral God. You know, we have the idea, you've been talked to about postmodernism. We have the idea in our own time that we sort of make up God ideas. And whoever we want God to be, that's, that's a great God for us. That's fine for us. You know, I've got my ideas, you have your ideas. And as long as we can both cross the street without being hit by a bus, we're Okay. Well, in the real universe, there is a God, and he's a certain God. Uh, he's not a fill-in-the-blank God. He's taken great pains to reveal himself to people through the centuries. And have you ever had anyone call you by the wrong name? You know, you, you introduce yourself, and, you know, your name is David, and they start calling you Tom or Matt or something like that. Well, Matt, you know, it's such and such and such and such. At first, it's sort of, well, you know, okay, they just forgot. But about the fifth time they do it, you wish they'd at least stop using your name. <laughs> now, we, we human beings have that much sensitivity about our names. Uh, the one who is divine is even more definite about who he is. And to set out to really achieve a life that has meaning and purpose and richness to it, whatever, however you describe that, without taking God into account, is the worst exercise 
a poor judgment you can come up with. Now, I wasn't raised to believe that in church. The church I grew up in had nice people in it. And they were nice on Sunday. And a lot of them were godly through the week. But, you know, probably, I don't know, half the bunch, three-quarters of the bunch, they were a different person on Monday. On Sunday, they sort of gamed God. They played a game with him, sort of put him off, you know, a little song and dance. And God says, oh, yeah, that's my boy. And he goes back to sleep. And while, while the cat's away, the mice will play. And people go back to their routines. In Scripture, that's folly of the highest degree. Uh, what I found out was, there are, in the Old Testament, there are nine different foolish strategies. We're going to look at them in a few minutes. Um, but they all amount to poor judgment. There are nine different ways to be foolish. In the scriptures, the opposite of wisdom, really knowing how to put life together in a way that God approves, and, and good things do happen. And last, wisdom is a wonderful thing. It's given by God. It's developed intentionally on your part. But it, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. Folly, in, in English we have this word folly. You know, you're either wise or you're foolish. There's wisdom and then there's folly. Those are the categories we use in English. But in Hebrew, I found out there's not a single word for folly. There is wisdom, but there is no big category that says folly. Instead, there are nine different ways to do it. There are nine different follies. Actually, if you, if you would find one opposite to wisdom in the Bible, it would be this. Mocking. There's a verse... I, uh, Let's see, do you guys have it? Yeah, Proverbs 9, 12. If you're wise, the scripture says, your wisdom will reward you. There'll be a reward for you later on. But if you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. What's a mocker? What do mockers do? In our country, they're called stand-up comedians. <laughs> whenever somebody has really blown it with God, he usually gets turned over to the stand-up comedians for a lot of jokes to be made at his, at his expense. Mockers make fun of things. And what Scripture is talking about here is there, there is a way that God has to live life. Those who begin to try to understand and walk with God over time, grow in their understanding of what it is God wants and how God brings good things to pass in our lives. But you know, there's, there's another group, and that's the people who say, oh, oh yeah, yeah, that, that, that Jesus stuff, yeah, that, yeah, I understand. You know, mocking. Not purity, you know. God's pure, he wants you to be pure. Oh yeah, purity, yeah, oh, I, I understand. Yeah, purity. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> oh, why do you have to be so scrupulous? You know, you lied on your test, you cheated on your test, and you went and told your teacher, and now you're suffering consequences. Why this? You're an idiot. Why would anybody admit to cheating? Oh, I know, yeah. Yeah, you're a Christian. Yeah, I understand. It's that, that mocking spirit. 
That's the one thing that all the different ways have in common. It looks at the ways of God and it says, oh yeah, yeah, that, that, that's nice for you, but you know, in a real world, there's a lot more fun to be had. And you know, the funny thing is, that mocking spirit is not unique to the unbelieving world. There are a lot of Christians who are mockers. But mocking always has a price to pay. Whenever you're in college, you, you go through a lot of pressure. Uh, you, you have the pressure of exams and finances. Uh, you're at a point in life where your heart is turning toward looking for a life mate. And a lot of times there's pain through that process. There, there are a lot of stresses on you. But you know, it's after you've lived 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, based on the wrong assumptions about reality, that you really mess up your life. It's not immediately apparent, whenever you're 20 years old, that your mocking is going to cost you an arm and a leg emotionally, and maybe financially. But as time goes on, life has a way of working such that those who really decide to do things God's way really do experience a different quality of life. And those who mock get to eat gravels in life. So we're going to be looking at the difference between God's way and the people who decide that they can do an end run on God. You know, sort of nod him off to sleep with enough praise, enough worship. Music gets him drowsy. <clears throat> and then we get what we really want in life. The wise and the fool, what's the difference? Whenever we want something, we all, every one of us, develops a strategy to get it. And we have a lot of different strategies. You know, you, uh, you, want, a, you want an A on a, a particular test, you know, a geography test. Uh, there's a way to get an A. You know, one way is to outline the book, outline the notes, break those outlines down into memorable phrase, phrases you can memorize, and stick it all in your head and spit it out on the test. Uh, you can study. Uh, another way is just cheat. Find people who've had the class, get the old copies of the old test, and, uh, and, uh, and cheat. Or try to steal answers from other people. Another way is just go out and have a good time and then come back and pray, oh, Jesus, please. <laughs> now, everybody's got a strategy. Uh, you, you see someone that you really become interested in romantically. You have some kind of strategy for making things happen. You know, with girls, it's usually first the eyes. And he says, yes. And after that, of course, it's the, the, the mint strip. And you see the advertisements on TV. Your cool mint Listerine. We have, we have strategies about go about these things. You know, we sort of bump into each other in the hall. One of my buddies used to call that muddling. Another friend called it inadvertent bumping. We develop strategies for getting what we want. You know, you, you run out of money and mom and dad have to have some reason to cough up more. Now, or they're not going to cough. What do you do? 
God, you fed Elijah with ravens. Or maybe you get a job. I mean, we come up with a strategy. And based on what's in our head, we start living out our life, our, our actions, and our, our words. You have already in your heart some general scheme for getting what you want out of life. And it, you, it may be well-defined for you, or you, you really may not be able to articulate it. But you've already, by growing up you know, from your background, you've already developed some patterns for relating to people, for how you work, for how you deal with authority. And these things are already there. Now, whenever the college finally spits you out, and you must get a job in order to justify your existence, <laughs> these things start coming to the front. There are, there are patterns that don't help. A wise person uses good judgment to develop their strategy in Scripture. And they get lasting success. It, it doesn't come easy. And it usually doesn't come quickly. But what comes remains. Uh, the foolish person, they have a different strategy. Look at Ecclesiastes 10.10. Listen to this. If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. What, what's it talking about? <clears throat> chopping wood. And chopping wood with what? An axe. Can you chop wood with a dull axe? Sure. You're going to be chopping for a long time. But you, you can do it. Wisdom, however, is like getting your axe sharpened. Understanding how God runs the universe and, and committing your heart to work in line with him is like getting the axe sharpened. Uh, you, you still have to work. And you still have to chop. But wisdom brings success. The other people are still hacking away 50 years later. Here's another one, Proverbs 24, 3 and 5. The scripture says, by wisdom, a house is built. And through understanding, it's established. Now, if it's talking about house, it doesn't just mean the physical structure. It means family and maybe a dynasty. But it can include the physical structure. A house is built. Through understanding, it's established. It is not only created, but it is firmly set in place in history. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Wonderful things come as you gain understanding from the Lord. And then the scripture says a wise man has great power. And a man of knowledge increases strength. As a person really understands how life works from God's viewpoint. And starts taking that understanding and applying it. That person begins to increase in their influence in the lives of people. And in their general influence in the community. They develop power. Wisdom helps one succeed. Uh, a person who has wisdom, the scripture says, knows particularly proper timing and procedure. You've got someone who has wisdom, and they can tell you, they can give you really good advice on what you need to do and when you need to do it. Now, you'll find advice from all kinds of people on what you need to do and when you need to do it. Wise people can make real good judgments about this. You know, the testimony about living off campus, what he called you to do was, if you're going to live off campus, get with somebody who has some understanding, and they can help you map out a general game plan so that you don't just waste your time. 
Wisdom, wisdom knows what to do. A fool just will not succeed. Well, they may look good at first. And they may actually put some money together. But it has a way of escaping. They just can't hang on to relationships. The relationships that started so wonderfully and so just going to be the greatest thing that ever happened. Grow sour. And they sever. The, the money that was the big dream might come, but it will not last. A fool just won't succeed. They exercise poor judgment. And at best, they'll achieve short-term success, followed by calamity and loss. His timing and procedures are not adequate. He does, he does decide what to do. That's procedures. And he, he makes judgments about when. That's timing. And they turn out not to create the thing he dreams of. Jeremiah 17, 11 says, As a partridge, catch this, as a partridge that broods but does not hatch. She's sitting on eggs and they just will not hatch. So is the man who gets riches but not rightly. It will leave him, the riches will leave him in the midst of his days and at his end he will be proven a fool. Now you can get money wrongly, friend. But it just has a way of not hanging around. Like, you know, Enron executives. You can get money wrongly. But to have money and to be blessed by it are two totally different things. The wealthy, uh, sorry, the wealth of the wise is their crown, the scripture says. That doesn't mean if you are wise you're going to get rich. It's not just talking about money. It's talking about the whole realm of life. But this kind of success marks the wise. It goes on to say, the folly of fools, this is Proverbs 14, 24. The folly of fools... It doesn't yield anything but more folly. No, you start off with poor judgment. You exercise your poor judgment with all kinds of vehemence and energy and power. And <laughs> all you get is a mess. And then you don't know what to do with that. Folly only creates more folly. Well, for me personally, uh, one, of the, one of the prime examples of this is Hollywood. You know, if, man, if money would do it, the people in Hollywood would be the happiest people on earth, and they would stay that way. If fame would do it, the people in Hollywood, particularly the stars, ought to have wonderfully blessed lives. If the ability to have anything you want would really satisfy you, you know, and then, of course, anything you want, not God, but you, that would really satisfy you. I mean, these people would just be blessed beyond belief. Any of you watch entertainment tonight? Now, some of you do. I uh, you. <laughs> yep. Uh, it's been interesting to me, you know, since I, I'm now in my, I'm 50, 56. It's interesting to me to look back since 1970. Whenever they do one of their things on whatever happened to so-and-so, and they bring up this person who was a, just a, a magnificent star at the time. And everybody was envious. They were on the front page of People magazine. And all the world was so good for them. And then they go into what was really happening behind the scenes in the person's life. And how they were falling apart. And then all the, all the tragedy that came on them afterwards. If, if they only had one example, you know, it might be an exception. Or, or maybe five out of the thousands of Hollywood. But it just goes on and on and on and on and on and on. 
Judge Reinhold is an actor in Hollywood, and um, he came and spoke at our church about six years ago, six, seven years ago. Uh, he became a believer, and a very solid believer. Uh, Judge is the guy who played, if you've ever seen it, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, uh, which some of your, maybe your older brothers or maybe even your parents watched. He's the white guy in Beverly Hills Cop. You know, Eddie Murphy, cool guy, and then this sort of nerdy white guy. Uh, Judge played him. He plays that kind of guy really well. <laughs> he said after Beverly Hills Cop and then Beverly Hills Cop 2, you know, his career had crested. I mean, he was at the height. And he said on the inside, his life was falling apart. He was more and more uh, drinking, and he was just dying on the inside. He said he was sitting on a, at a talk show, and the host was asking him, just asked the question, how does it feel to be such an astounding success with these two movies? It's, how, just, how does it feel, Judge? He said, I said, it just feels terrific. It is just wonderful. I love it. He said, on the inside, I was saying, you liar. Because his heart was aching, he was coming apart of the seams. But you know, what we see is we see the image. And then another star comes on the scene, and we don't know the history that follows. See, life goes on. And what one plants, one reaps. For good or for ill. Now, Hollywood for me is, um, has been a, a sort of a study. And people who, talented people, sometimes very, very intelligent people, and very definitely hard-working people who give their all for a strategy that they think is going to bring them what they want. And when they reach to grab what was going to be so delicious, it turns to ashes in their mouth. Now, not everybody in Hollywood goes through that. Some people actually walk with God. But we get so caught up. You know, and the media is so dominant, we see all the glitz. And we see all the wonderful things that are happening. And who's sleeping with who, and how beautiful who is that they're sleeping with. And then we see all, you know, this person, you know, she moves from relationship to relationship. Oh, it's beautiful, good-looking guys, and she's making millions of dollars. And here I am sitting trying to follow Jesus, and I can't even get a date. <laughs> And there's a tug on our hearts that says, what a fool you are. But friend, time tells the fool. In the, in the scriptures, we're going we're gonna to look at folly. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to lay out the patterns of folly for you. The self-defeating de- self strategies. So that you can recognize them. And if you happen to have bought into one of these, I'm going to have some suggestions for you on how to get out of it. Actually, what you're going to discover is that several of these really appeal to your heart. And there's a reason for that. All of us have, have been born into the world with a determination to get what we want, whether or not God comes into the equation. And even after we yield our lives to him, there's a struggle. So you may find some of these calling to you and say, you who recognize me? Yes. Well, if you do, know there's hope. We'll talk about the hope later. <laughs> First, let's look at nine ways to be foolish. 
I, whenever I, I checked out the Hebrew in the Old Testament, I found nine different Hebrew word groups, concepts, that can be translated. This is handout number two. Uh, that can be translated as fool or foolish or folly. And as I was studying in English, you know, it all looked like, just like the same stuff. But as I began to dig into Hebrew, I began to discover that every one of these concepts uses poor judgment. But boy, they have very different styles of doing it. Very different ways of going about it. And as I said, as I dug more and more and more in the scriptures, I began to recognize these things are running around today. So we're going to look at them. I, what I did for myself, I do well if I use numbers to memorize things. So I summarized these nine this way. There's one way to miss the boat. Two ways to fool around. Uh, and then actually, the fourth one has to do with the simple person. There are three ways to be fooled. There are four ways to outfox God. And then there are five foxes. We'll take a look at those. One way to miss the boat. There's a word in the Old Testament that, I guess if you want to translate it into English, the best term would be consumables. It's a word that can be used for kindling, for firewood, you know, just the little branches and stuff you start a fire with. Uh, or it can be used for food. It's basically the stuff that's consumed either by the fire or by eating. And because people eat goats and sheep and cattle, that term became a general term for, for the beasts of the field. Uh, that's, you know, food on the hoof out there. Uh, that same term is used to describe a certain perspective in life. Uh, the word in Hebrew is ba'ar, and it amounts to one way to miss the boat. Uh, this term is used, uh, sometimes it's translated very stupid in newer translations. Uh, but basically what the term means <clears throat> is that you know, you're living unthinkingly in the moment just like a cow. You are as sharp as a cow. That's really what it means. You know, you, you, you're just as, as bright as food on the hoof. And uh, it's used a bunch in the uh, Old Testament for both fuel, for food, and then for this type of foolishness. To live unthinkingly in the moment, like a cow. You know, cows don't think about the future. Have you ever thought about that? <laughs> cows out there munching the grass. <laughs> they never ask the question, where did the universe come from? They never ask the question, what is the purpose of a cow? They munch. And they munch, and they munch. In the spring they breed, they bear young, and they munch. <laughs> and they munch, and they munch. A predator shows up, <clears throat> you know, they're out of here. But other than recognizing predators, they munch. <laughs> this term is used for people, some of whom some are very wealthy and very powerful people. But they live thinking that it, the, the bigger picture doesn't matter. You know, life is good right here, right now. I'm just going to focus on right here, right now. And I'm not going to ask these bigger questions. I'm not going to deal with bigger issues. And if I, particularly if I'm rich, my money is going to take care of everything I need. Psalm 49, if you 
Read that psalm. talks about these kind of people. Uh, there's a verse that uses it in Psalm 73. It says, this, the guy's talking is a believer in God. He's gotten mad at God. He started looking around to see how successful some wicked people are. And he tells God, these guys just go from better to better. They never have any problems. And me, I try to walk with you. I try to live purely. In vain I've washed my hands in righteousness. You know, it's, what do I get? Nothing. Trouble. Bills. I live high. And I try to walk with God and nothing's happening for me. You need to read the psalm. I mean, it's really good. (laughs) If you ever need a real good pity party, this is a great psalm. (laughs) He comes to a point where he says, I I came to the point that I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. The word senseless is the word ba'ar. It means I was just like an animal. You know, I, I didn't want to think about God. I just sort of dimmed down everything until it's just me and the here and now, and I'm not going to think about anything else. The cure for this this condition is knowledge. Uh, knowledge in the Scripture is not just bare information like 2 plus 2 equals 4. It's a certain kind of information. It's an information that shapes your perspective on life spiritually. It shapes how you see life. It's not just facts, but it's stuff that helps you see life from a different angle. That kind of knowledge is, is a cure for this. Uh, the, the Ba'ar, this consumable, uh, the problem is that they live in the moment and opportunities come and they go and they're never seized. Existentialism, a philosophy, teaches you to live this way. I'm going to be me here now. Hedonism is very similar. I'm going to do whatever feels good right now. Now, postmodernism is the same. You know, I'm alive right now at this moment. I don't want to get hit by a bus. Uh, there is a physical universe. But all this bigger stuff, just make up your own fantasy, man, and let's just sort of live. But opportunities come and go. And the cow never notices. Predators, they recognize. Opportunity? No, not really. Now, one way to miss the boat, if you... If you if you don't ask some bigger questions about your life, friend, you know, you got your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and everything's fine right now, and you don't want to ask any too deep questions lest Jesus start messing up this relationship. You're just munching. You've got to go deeper than that. Otherwise, you're going to miss God's opportunities for you. Scripture says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. He who hates correction is a consumable. How do you know if you're this kind of person? Well, <laughs> you want to live right now and you don't want anybody messing up the little nest you've made for yourself. You want to live here. And you live like a cow. As long as it's going on right now, okay. We don't ask any deeper questions. Uh, that's one of, the, one of the major ways. You, you just miss the boat in life. You miss the opportunity. Second, Two ways to fool around. The first one deals with perspective. These next two deal with responsibilities. Uh, one of them is the word ya'al. Not you all, but ya'al or ya'al. It, ba- it means essentially slackening my grip on my responsibilities. 
I'm letting go. You know, have you ever hit a tennis ball with a loose grip? What, what happens? Maybe you smack one real hard and you realize you weren't holding your racket tight enough. First, nobody knows where the ball is going. And then second, the racket spins. And then third, you hurt. What, what a person does whenever they do this type of folly is they, they just don't get a grip on their responsibilities. They handle life with a very slack hand. Uh, Numbers 12:11. Moses is a leader in Israel, and uh, Aaron, his brother, is chief priest. His sister Miriam, sort of the choir leader, leads the women's ministries. And they, they're both older than Moses, and they get a little bit jealous of him. And things are going on, you know, the movement's going fine, and everybody just reveres Moses so much. And they don't revere Aaron enough for Aaron's taste anyway. And Mary is sort of upset with this whole thing because he's her baby brother. And so they begin to spread some rumors and discontent about Moses. And God pulls them aside. He says, I want to see Moses, Miriam, and Aaron out the tent right now. And they show up in front of the, the, the worship tent, and uh, God speaks to them. He says, yes, I have spoken to you, Aaron, and I have spoken to you, Miriam, but not like I have spoken to Mer- Moses. And so Aaron says to Moses then, oh, my Lord, all of a sudden he's not little brother, he's Lord now. Oh, my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly, in which we have also sinned. And what he says is, Moses, he's saying, Please talk to him, Moses. You know, we have, you, we have handled our responsibilities God has given us with a slack hand. We have let go of that, that, that wonderful thing God gave us, and we've treated it trivially while we promoted ourselves. And now, she's going to die, Moses. So God graciously does heal her. But this slack hand... Do you ever handle your responsibilities with a slack hand? You know, you go to class, they hand out the syllabus, and they talk about the assignments, and, you know, the video games are calling. <laughs> or, you know, it's just, you, you want to chat with your friends, not study. And then the day of judgment comes. <laughs> and sure enough, you get back to the test, and it's covered with leprosy. And shame is all over you. <laughs> that slack-handedness is something that appeals to all our hearts. Um, God, if God gives you a responsibility to be a child of a parent or a parent of a child or a husband or a wife or an employee or a boss or a student or a professor, you take the responsibilities he's given you and you get a grip on them. And because you're a normal human being, you've got to work at keeping the grip. Now, it's very easy just to sort of let down and go off and play. But you, you learn to use a firm grip. Uh, the cure, there's a Hebrew word, hazak. It means get a firm grip, strongly seized. We'll take a look at it in a second. By the way, this loose, loose grip is a problem with church staff members. Now, very often they have the same pros, same problem that Moses and or that Aaron and Miriam had. 
I was also a major problem with staff members of businesses. If they were just CEO, this whole thing would be flying right, but that turkey is there. Well, God didn't call him to be a turkey inspector. God called him to fulfill certain responsibilities. You get a hold of your responsibilities, let God deal with these people on theirs. Uh, the other one, the other one, uh, three ways, to, two ways to fool around. The other way of handling life that's just out of line with God's will is a word in Hebrew is tifla. Um, it, it, it's gutless trifling. You guys remember Nero, Emperor Nero of Rome. Some of you know him personally. <laughs> you ever studied history? You know, Nero is credited by some people with starting the fire in Rome that destroyed the city. Nearly, nearly totally destroyed it. He charged, ended up charging Christians with it. What, what is Nero supposed to have done while the, while the fire raged? He did what? Yeah, a lot of people say he played the fiddle. Uh, he, he had a harp. The, the instrument of the time was a harp. And he sang. It was a... It was sort of his own music video. <laughs> you know, he's got the city on fire, people yelling, screaming, being burned alive, running, buildings falling, crashing, and he's up on the wall. <laughs> Is he doing anything important? No. He's trifling. He's playing with things that absolutely do not matter. And the opportunity to help people is passing. The scripture goes a little bit further than this, though. It would add the word, it would add the word gutless to this. A crisis is developing, and in the situation, rather than me admitting the crisis and starting to try to figure out how to help deal with this, what I do is I, I just sort of peck around on things that don't really matter. You know, the house is burning, and I'm trying to clean the pot. This, this was a charge laid against the prophets in Israel. God's people rebelled against him. And the Lord, Lord would speak through prophets to tell people to get back on track. At this particular juncture in history, most of the prophets around were false prophets. A true prophet of God writes, Your prophets have said so many tifla things, false to the core. They have not tried to hold you back from slavery. Because judgment's coming, the nation would fall, they'd go into slavery. They have not tried to hold you back from slavery by pointing out your sins. They lied and said that all was well. Now, one of the ways, one of the foolish strategies, is whenever you know trouble is coming, you don't own up to it. You just sort of peck away at doing minor things. Now, sometimes that happens at test time. You know the test is due in three days. It scares you spitless. And rather than get right down to work and start to work on this thing, uh, you got to do ironing. That's it. You haven't ironed in three months, but right now it just really feels compulsive. <laughs> You're ironing away, or you, you got to go. You know, you got to go gas the car or, or something. But it's not addressing the real issue. Now, later on in life, couples play this game in their marriage. They got major problems they really need to deal with, and rather than deal with the problems. They just deal with trifles. God calls us to go ahead and, and admit reality the way it is and then ask him to help us to deal with the hard stuff. But you know, there are, there are a lot of ways to just sort of pretend it's not happening and just be involved in trivia. It's foolish. Uh, the cure is the word amat. 
It means to act with valor. If, if, any, of, if any of you ever memorized Joshua 1.9, the Lord says to Joshua several times, the Old Testament leader, be strong and courageous. And those, those words are, these two words that, we, that I mentioned here, Hazak and Amat. One of them means, get a firm grip on your responsibilities. I've appointed your leader among God's people. Get a grip on your responsibilities. Child, parent, student, get a grip on your responsibilities. The second word, this gutless trifling, means get some guts in you for good grief. Take some courage and act with valor. Don't hang back. He goes and he tells Joshua, have not commanded you. Be strong and courageous. That is act with valor. Don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged. You know, we get into fear and we start dinking around on stuff really and addressing issues. God has more for you in life than that. Uh, the last, the next one, three ways to be fooled. Uh, I'm, we'll spend a few minutes on this one, then we'll end for the evening. <clears throat> um, three ways to be fooled. Any of you ever seen Pinocchio? I mean, you know, the old Disney version, the cartoon. What's Pinocchio's problem? He lies. Why does he lie? Because he got into trouble. How did he get into trouble? Who is it he believes? Honest John the Fox and Kitty. If you ever have children, you'll have an opportunity to review this particular video. <laughs> when they're about three years old. Pinocchio has no discernment. And he goes out into the world, and the first person who can talk a good line to him, he buys it. And he ends up being pulled off course and into trouble. And that starts a string of lies. There's a word in the Old Testament. Well, the word is, if you pronounce it, it would be pesi. And it means roomy. It's translated in the scriptures as simple. It's used for adolescents. Uh, like you guys. You know, someone, someone who's, say, older, older than 10 years old, on up to maybe their mid-20s, but it's a younger person, and that younger person, the Scripture says, tends to be too roomy. That's what it means to make space, to create room, or to be roomy. And the idea is this. This person is open, and they're too open. Whenever you go into airports uh, nowadays, uh, you hear announcements being made. You know, they ask you if you buy a ticket. Has, has your bag been in possession at all times? Your possession at all times. Have you received anything from anyone that you did not know what it was? Are you carrying any, any gifts, any things from strangers? And, of course, you want to answer no. Uh, and then you hear the announcements running in the airports. Uh, pay attention to your bags. Take care of your bags because uh, you, you, need, you need to be careful about accepting gifts from strangers. These, these are warnings against you know, accidentally picking up a bomb and putting, having, or just having an open case and someone putting something in it that's dangerous. Uh, it's a high value in our society to be open. And for sure, I mean, you don't, you don't be so narrow-minded you can look through a keyhole with both eyes at the same time. But ours is a culture that took a while, didn't it? <laughs> ours is a culture that's just Totally open. Anything goes. And what happens with the younger, the younger group, the scripture says, 
is they, they just tend to be way too open. And what, what goes on in their lives is people come along who are shrewd, and they sell them on ideas that lead them off on a path that leads to trouble. Now, according to the scriptures, the simple have three characteristics. They're easily fooled three ways. Now, first one, they prefer to believe things are going to be uncomplicated. Oh, Mom, Dad, it's not that hard. I, I know, I'll be careful. I mean, good grief. It's not that hard. Uh, you know, someone says, you know, you really ought to watch about getting this relationship with this person because they've got a track record. Oh, man, I can handle that. You know, it's not going to be that hard. We don't want to believe that there really are consequences. We want to believe that we can play and not have to pay. You know, the, the path into drugs begins like this. We can have fun. And we're, we're shrewd, we're smart, it's not that hard. We'll escape the trap. And the, the, the trap into sex starts the same way. Yeah, you know, ugly things can happen to people, but we're, we're shrewd, we're smart. I mean, it's not that hard. So we don't have to be that sharp. We don't have to be that discerning. It'll all work out. And then you find out life turns out to be very complicated. So you have to, you have to get over believing it's going to be uncomplicated. How long will you simple ones love your simple ways? There's an emotional attachment to it not being that hard. A second thing, they believe too easily. One of the things I've observed about college students is if there's a really cool professor, students will buy what he says, hook, line, and sinker, without ever evaluating it. And they'll do the same thing uh, in the religious realm. They'll do the same thing uh, in, in any realm. Somebody really cool, you know, they, they lay the cool on you. And you don't want to look uncool. So we, we tend to buy things much too easily. And you have to learn to evaluate life. Check things out in the scriptures. A simple man believes anything, the scripture says. But a prudent man gives thought to his steps. The reason, reason why is he's already discovered it's not that simple. The third thing, the simple guy, simple person, doesn't look ahead to see trouble coming. Proverbs twenty-seven twelve says, The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going. And suffer for it. You, know, you look up, you see trouble coming, you say, I better get out of here. But what, what the, the open person prefers to do is they're going to say, well, you can't make statements like that about life. And I'm, I'm just sort of open. I go ahead and make my decisions, and then I experience the trouble. Uh, as, as I personally have walked through life, I've seen that a lot in relationships. People get warned about a relationship. Somebody raises questions. And once, you know, your heart's sort of hooked, you don't, wanna, you don't want any information that's going to raise questions about this wonderful person. And so you, you sort of go into denial. You, you won't listen to this stuff. And then, sure enough, what's really there shows up. And then there's pain. You know, you want, you want to develop the eyes to look ahead Ask some questions about the future. See trouble coming. And then take appropriate steps. But it's much simpler just to go around like our culture encourages you. With your, your heart hanging out, you know. In our culture, you're supposed to fall in love with somebody. 
Really, anybody would do, as long as you had a relationship. You're supposed to sort of go out with your heart hanging out crying, Jump into my heart, please! And any fantasy that comes along, you ought to follow. But you know, once, once your heart goes to someone, if they stomp on that sucker, you just really hurt. If they, if they treat you and use you, it hurts, friend. And it doesn't matter where you saw the trouble coming or not, you still hurt. So you learn to ask some questions. You do want to have an open mind, but you don't want one so open it needs to be closed down for repairs. There are boundaries God has set for us. It's good to ask questions about life and decisions. Listen to advice, the scripture says. Accept instruction. And in the end, you'll be wise. There are also four ways to outfox God. We'll look at these in the morning. I just want to look at them quickly with you here. There's one, the word is eveleth. It has to do with a stubborn determination to have my own way. These are sort of folly strategies. We're going to talk about the strategizers as we talk about the fools. Another one is cycloth, operating by blind desire. Another word, halaloth, means exalting myself above others. And then nebula means preying on people. Now we're going to look at these. There are, five, there are four sort of big strategy categories. These other stuff just sort of different foolish acts you can take. But there are four sort of complex strategies. And then those four strategies have five practitioners. Two of them draw out of the first one, Eveleth. One of them is called a Casillo fool. Another one is called a veal. And then uh, the um, cycle, and these, there are others. Uh, these are how they, you can see on your chart here, how they relate to the, the folly. We're going to look at the folly, and then we're going to look at the fools. As we go through these, now, what I've talked to you about tonight is just sort of different ways to mess up individual acts. But these tend to come as rather complex packages, sort of lifestyles put together. We're going to look at the lifestyles uh, of the foolish and ultimately unhappy uh, as we look at these self-defeating strategies. And then we're going to look at what you need to do to reverse them.